0: In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? When is the time? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. And then from Ephesians, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart, enlightenment, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? And then the gospel reading. And he said to them, this, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I'm sending upon you what my father has promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from that place and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. One of my most unfavorite things to do is to wait. It seems like such a waste of time. And if you're Like me, lots of the times, it accentuates your impatience. I know grocery stores have changed. I know there are all these self-checkout lines and all that now, but still I think about, and happens sometimes, that you catch yourself stuck in a checkout line at the grocery store. you got one loaf of bread, while the dietician for Pharaoh's army is right in front of you, and they unload all of their stuff, and what do you do? You memorize the cover of the National Enquirer and you might learn something, but probably not. And there's really nothing else to do but wait. And then she takes out a checkbook. And you have to protect her from the folks around her who look like they want to kill her. Um, Have you ever run around like a chicken with its head cut off trying to get to a three o'clock appointment? Maybe a doctor or a dentist, an attorney, an accountant, somewhere you just had to be. And on the way to the office, you run over two pedestrians, four dogs, three cats, and a possum. And you jump out of the car before it quits rolling. You run into the office, you register, you sit down, you catch your breath, and you wait, and wait, and wait. Waiting room furniture, for the most part, is designed and manufactured by Boris Karloff Limited makers of fine torture chamber furnishings since 1898. And the crooked works of art on the wall, the fine art that is hung on the wall, it's a little crook side, It would probably look better if it was turned completely upside down. And then the music, or used to be music, now it's more television monitors on the wall with some show that you wouldn't watch if it was the last show on television and you just wait and wait and wait and of course take out your phone and catch up on emails and Facebook and all that other stuff and keep waiting keep waiting and they used to be magazines in these offices before the pandemic most of those are gone but if they were there they were old they had a picture of President Roosevelt on the cover some of them Teddy Roosevelt and Good things come to those who wait, or so I've always heard. And I suppose in some ways, in some places, in some circumstances, there's truth there. But frayed nerves and lost tempers and sore backsides often come from waiting and waiting and waiting. And how many times a day have we told our children or our grandchildren or other folks that we encounter at work or at home or anywhere at school, you're going to have to just wait a minute. But I don't want to wait a minute, daddy, I want it now. Gosh, I heard that so much. I want it now. But couldn't that be considered one of the chief slogans of our time? Not just with children, but with everyone. Why wait? You can have it all right now. And it's not just immature children that these advertisers point their weapons toward. It's all of us, you and me. Their arsenals consist of slick promises and smooth words, and we don't even know we've been fired upon until much later. Given a choice between waiting and having it all right now for what do most of us opt? How about with our faith? Hasn't this attitude you can have it all right now crept into our faith somewhere along the way at at some level, invaded this realm of our life? We speak of getting saved as if, okay, now we got it. Or it's got us and we don't have to worry anymore. We've arrived. It's, It's all done. We don't have to, Wait. We got it all. We don't have to struggle. We don't want to hear about sometimes growing in grace or striving or struggling with unanswered questions or volatile issues or journeying toward Jerusalem. In our Wesleyan theology, we think of this as sanctification that process of moving toward wholeness and holiness, and it doesn't happen all at once. All these things we struggle with imply waiting. Waiting on God to act means we're not in control. And it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because we wanna pull the strings and we wanna be in charge. And our culture keeps reminding us that you can have it all and you can have it all right now. You're in charge today. Why doesn't God just go with the flow and establish some branch offices and get things done our way at our convenience? Verse four of the scripture lesson for today from the book of Acts chapter one. And while staying with them, he, he being Jesus, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. Oh me, oh my, there's that word again. There's that four letter word, W-A-I-T, wait. Today is one of those Transitional days in the church here it's Ascension Sunday Actually Ascension Day was this past Thursday Ascension Day comes 40 days after Easter And then 10 days after the Ascension The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came That period is called the great 50 days On the church calendar When some amazing things were happening back In biblical days When, when all that was unfolding Ascension Day is a bridge between Easter and Pentecost And sometime when you're down in this corner, the last window over here to my left is the Ascension and a beautiful work of art to remind us of what that's all about. It's a Bridge Sunday, just like Transfiguration Sunday becomes that bridge between the Epiphany and Lent. Ascension Sunday, a Bridge Sunday. Ascension Day serves to link Easter and Pentecost. Our scripture lesson for today from Acts is an account of that ascension. Luke is telling the story here. And in a moment, we'll talk about Luke's gospel. Remember, we believe Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as the gospel of Luke. But in Acts, there's an account of what happens there as they prepare for Jesus to to leave. Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to the apostles. They took place during that 40-day period. And don't you know, being around the resurrected Christ, how amazing that must have been for those folk? But now it was time for him to to return into heaven to ascend. And then Jesus instructed the the apostles after he was gone to wait until he sent the Holy Spirit. Um, What was that cartoon I saw the other day? I, I showed it to Mickey. It's the ascension. It's a picture of Jesus getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And it says, Jesus prepares now to do all of his work from home. So it was, um, but he sent the Holy Spirit, he didn't leave us. He went home sure to be with the Father, but the Holy Spirit is here to make Jesus known and to be his power and his presence in the world. And that's what you'll celebrate. We'll celebrate next Sunday for Pentecost. The apostles are together again, Jesus is present as the risen Lord, and they're asking that question that they couldn't seem to get around. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking still for that earthly kingdom, overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted to be in charge again, and Jesus answered, that's not for you to know. That's to be revealed by the Father who has fixed that time by his own authority. But you shall receive power, he said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, my disciples. And then Luke describes the ascension like this as they were looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus had to depart to ascend so that he might send the Holy Spirit. He would no longer be physically present with his followers, but he would live with them, within his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit, within this world that he loves Within his body, the church, the community of faith, Jesus is alive and and present. When he was here physically, he could only be so many places at so many times, but the Holy Spirit, all places, all time, the power we need to fulfill our calling as witnesses and disciples, members of his church, the sending of the Holy Spirit to enable us, empower us, to do all these callers to do. So after Jesus had ascended, the apostles returned from the Mount of Olives, or Mount Olivet, as some say, to Jerusalem, a distance of slightly more than half mile. You know, when we read it, it said a Sabbath day's journey, how far you could travel on the Sabbath without violating the Sabbath law and it becoming work. About half a mile was the set time, the set distance. And then the epistle lessons, Ephesians talks about this, verse twenty. I mean, yeah, verse 20, chapter 1 and verse 20, which God accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. So from Acts 1 and Ephesians 1, we come up with that particular phrase in the Apostles' Creed that we repeat Sunday after Sunday, ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's very much based in Scripture. But what were the Apostles' up to in Jerusalem. They went back to the upper room where they had been staying and they waited. There's the word again. They waited as Jesus had instructed them. How did they spend their time in this upper room waiting? Were they reading outdated magazines? Were they listening to music they didn't like? Were they sleeping? Were they like some folks in doctor's office waiting room sometimes discussing the things that ailed them and troubled them? were they staring at their watches and sighing out loud? According to Luke, they devoted themselves to prayer. Every one of us needs an upper room in our life. It doesn't literally and physically have to be an upper room on the second floor of our house or, or somewhere higher. It can be any room, kitchen table works, early in the morning or late at night when we find a little quiet time in alone time. We need an upper room in our lives. In fact, to have an upper room, there are only three things that come to mind. And some of these I got from E. Stanley Jones. And some of you may remember his writings years ago, a lay person who had such an impact on our church. He said, we need, first of all, a special time for prayer. It's like anything else of significance in our life. If we don't have a special time that we've blocked out and taken care of, then it's liable to be neglected and not happen at all. In his book, Victorious Living, E. Stanley Jones tells of a great Christian in England. He was very sleepy headed as a youth, but he knew he needed to have a prayer time, and so he decided on early in the morning. And he kept sleeping past his prayer time. He just could not get up and spend time in prayer. So he devised a system, and he didn't have much money. He said, every morning that I sleep late, I'm gonna throw a guinea, a coin I suppose, into the river. And it didn't take long before he was almost broke and he decided he better just start getting up in the morning that it was dumb to throw all his money in the river. So he got up and he fixed that prayer time and that habit and that place and became one of the great spiritual leaders in his generation. We have to have a time and a place. The very quality, the very depth of our life depends on it. It's a lifeline. We need that time and we need that place. Any place, as long as it's free from distraction, if there is such a place, sometimes we just learn to pray through the distraction, to block things out for just a little while, not to hear the other noises that that keep pressing in. It's not to say that we need to have only one particular place to pray. We can pray at all times and in all places and I hope we do that. I hope it becomes such a way of life and an ongoing conversation and a never ceasing to pray that it's it's always with us in some way, some fashion, even a silent conversation with our God. But it becomes habit and a desire is placed in our heart to pray just like a desire to sleep when we're tired or to eat when we're hungry. A particular place, a particular time and then that desire. Stanley Jones said, don't fool yourself into saying you don't need a particular time and you don't need a particular place. You can pray any or any place. He said, if you're, fi- if you're to find God all the time, you've got to find God sometime. And if you're to find God in all places, you have to find God in some particular place. And that sometime and place become the prayer time and the special prayer place. He said, fix them, establish them. And as you do that, you put your feet on the path to victory. Something to do while we wait. And then that desire to pray, we we need that. That's part of us. It's something that God puts inside of us. A desire placed in us by a gracious and eternal God who wants that communion, who wants that relationship with us, who wants to talk to his children and wants to hear from his children. So in actuality, the desire is supplied by God. We don't have to manufacture it. We do have to be careful not to ignore it or to overlook it because then it begins to fade away and it doesn't drive us anymore to the place of prayer. It dissipates and disappears. We cut our own lifeline when we behave foolishly. Waiting rooms don't have to be dull and irritating places. Magazines can be current, music can be lively, Furniture comfortable and the colors can be bright and attractive. We all need an upper room that becomes for us a waiting room, a place where we pray, where we wait to receive power from on high, to receive the Holy Spirit, that we might be empowered to be witnesses and disciples, that we might be the church God has called us to be, especially in this time when there is so much hurt and so much darkness. Upper rooms become waiting rooms. And God speaks, and God empowers. And we know the fullness of life to which he has called us. Amen.